Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm David Ross and welcome to episode 10 of The Sun's new podcast, Israel's War on Terror. Critics of Hamas are warning observers of the conflict not to be fooled by the terror group's bid to align itself with victims of oppression. Hamas is accused of cynically disguising its murderous intent to annihilate Jews by portraying itself as having some kind of parity with civil rights organizations. Dumasani Washington is the founder and CEO of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, or IBSI. He says the consequences are huge when the deception isn't called out. Well, um, I am a pastor, uh, David, and who my first trip to Israel was 2012. Uh, I was part of the African-American uh, pastors delegation with Christians United for Israel. I was not on, I went on later to serve on staff with CUFI, but I wasn't on staff at the time. Just had some friends in the organization, uh, went there. But before that trip, had a deep passion for both Africa and then later on for Israel, like, like especially the Jewish roots of my Christian faith, right? So these were things that were studies of mine or or, or, or um, things that, that I would kind of lean towards for a while. Um, those things kind of married each other. My love for Africa and, and Israel, those, those things kind of connected there. And I came away with a real sense of needing to strengthen the alliance between Africa and Israel. Uh, and then also the black and Jewish communities in the United States um, had no idea how I was going to do that. Uh, it's just something that I that I really felt deeply to do. And when I returned to the states, um, I began to kind of pour into some more research and everything. And short version of the story: there are some things that I knew about the black Jewish synergy, for example, but there are some things that that I became more aware of. And I wrote a book called Zionism and the Black Church shortly after that. Second edition came out a couple of years ago, and that has a lot to do with the journey that I've been on for a long time. So what actually drove you, though? What compelled you to do something? I think that uh, there's a number of different things. Uh, for me, now, I grew up in California, right? Again, I'm a uh, pretty Christian uh, religious family, if you will. Uh, but I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, during the segregated South, born in the late 1960s. I didn't really grow up there. I grew up in California, uh, but my parents and my family, many of them who came from there, moved from Little Rock to the Bay Area in California. We spoke often about our lives there. So David, I was raised with a great deal of um, pride and self-worth about my Black American heritage, right? And we didn't call it 
uh, Black American heritage in my house. It was family, right? This was that's actually what it was. Which is another. I'm an educator as well. I'm a music educator. My wife also taught in school districts there for a while in California. So education is a is a deep passion of ours as well. So for me, uh, that along with learning later on, not just about biblical Israel, but about the modern Jewish state, about the geopolitical reality, as we say. And when I recognized in my studies that Israel was constantly demeaned in a racial paradigm, Israel is an apartheid state, which is a lie. Uh, Zionism is racism, lie. Zionism, which is the, the, the national freedom movement of the Jewish people, all of these things, right? Um, I took those things personally, right? Because not only were those things lies, but those things, uh, particularly during the time, and I talk about this often in my book, Yasser Arafat, during the time of the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, formed in 64, but Yasser Arafat becomes the chairman in 69. And his clear goal um, and objective is to, among other things, reach the younger, more militant members of the Black civil rights community. And that strategy continues today. He's long gone, right? But the attempt at Arab-Palestinian terrorists or their, uh, 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 you know, apologists, if you will, using the what we call the Black struggle for freedom, the historic Black struggle for freedom as a some sort of cudgel against Israel, the only liberal democracy in the Middle East. Again, not only not true, but it is a, a bastardization of what I consider a very, very important part of my history and legacy. Why is that narrative believed in some quarters? Because from the outside looking in, it would, it would appear that Hamas attempting to have parity with the black struggle in America cheapens that notion, but people are falling for it. Right. Uh, it's, there's several different reasons, and I'll just kind of pick two. Number one, propaganda, uh, as most know who are watching this, that's repeated over and over again. Disinformation, it's most effective when it is recycled over and over again. So you've been what I mentioned about Yasser Arafat and he took it over. The reason I mentioned the the dates so people can extrapolate, you know, talking about 50 plus years, right, of this type of disinformation, his connection with Eldridge Cleaver of the Black Panthers, Angela Davis, right, and, and the Stokely Carmichaels, right? Once again, the younger members, whereas the, the Dr. Kings and the others, Dr. King, though he wasn't an old man, he was only 39 when he was assassinated, but he was still part of a veteran guard of the civil rights community. So it's been repeated over and over again. So people have heard that. And so even especially younger people, the younger generation, they'll accept it as true because they've heard it so many times, right? But the other reason has to do with what was the strategy, right? So uh, historically, we understand that's a factual history that the KGB, and we know this from KGB agents, was the inventor of the Palestine Liberation Organization, right? We recruited Yasser Arafat. Uh, uh, Mahmoud Abbas was also had some training there as well. So the, the person who came up and uh, after Yasser Arafat. And so what was the goal? What was the goal of the liberation movement, right? It had really nothing to do with Jews in that sense. They just became uh, the unfortunate, you know, byproduct, the anti-Semitism, right? What the focus was, was the destruction of the United States' influences, particularly in Eastern Europe, right? You had the, the wall go up in Germany. Stalin knows that he can't fight a united, you know, a NATO, if you will. So what he does is he wants to now stir up Jew hatred in the West, right? He starts to call the Senate and the 
Congress, puppets in Israel, puppets for the Jews, all these other types of things, right? Why is he doing that? He's trying to destroy it from the inside, right? So when you see a strong Israel nation, as the Navy has an Air Force and has all this capabilities, one of the most formidable armies, if not the largest, one of the most powerful ones in the world, right? And then you see them pitted up against what people see only as poor Palestinians. Well, of course, anybody seeing just that picture would side with the lowly Palestinians. Problem is that Hamas, which rules Gaza, for example, are some of the wealthiest people in the world. I believe the three leaders of Hamas have a combined wealth of $11 billion. So whereas the people of Gaza are poor and oppressed, their rulers are oppressive and they're very wealthy and they are the ones like Yasser Arafat pulling these puppet strings. Or I can say funded mainly by Iran. I don't want to not mention the fact that Iran is very much involved in this as well. So how do you counter these narratives? What can people do and what what are people like you doing? Well, in our organization, David, our focus again is education. The first priority is correct information, or even when we're talking about history, authentic history, if you will, that we find that even though lies travel faster than the truth, there is still no substitute for the truth, right? There's no microwave version of here's what the truth is, right? Someone can tell a lie on you in three seconds, and it will take you about a week to really unpack all the different lies that they said and why it wasn't true. The problem is that you still have to do it for those who are willing to hear the truth, right? So we in our organization, whether it's black pastors, black community leaders, we work throughout the country. We work with uh, black pastors and leaders in Africa as well, because one of the reasons why, again, it's a passion for us is because when it comes to the disinformation that attacks Israel, right? The the anti-Semitism like in a United Nations body that's supposed to be concerned about the globe, United Nations Human uh, uh, Rights Council, the lion's share of its time is spent demonizing Israel. They set up an entire council of inquiry that's just for Israel, right? The United Nations uh, uh, Relief Works Agency, only for the Palestinian refugees, is the only group of people who have their own wing of the United Nations, right? When people are hearing those things, well, who's paying for that other than Israelis? Well, Africa. Does anybody know about there's a million slaves in Libya? Does anybody know that this 800 Sudanese were just killed in Sudan just about a month ago, right? Right about a month after the attacks, in October in Israel and on and on and on, right? We Are they a concern about the Islamist violence that's killing both Christians and Muslims throughout the region? In large part, they don't even know about it because they are hearing so much about Israel. People think that Israel, Palestine, most people can't find Gaza on a map, right? But they're so concerned about that conflict only because it's always in their faces in terms of media. So what we do, long answer to your question, is we give the information, we talk about those things. For example, we talk about why it's important that people know who Hamas is, right? Why it's important that they know that in 2005, Israel removed every Jewish man, woman, and child from Gaza, right? And that Fatah and Hamas were ruling together in the parliament. They had a civil war. Hamas won, shot the kneecaps out of the Fatah soldiers that they could find, kicked them out, and they've been ruling with an iron fist since 2007. These types of things people need to know if they're truly going to, for example, stand up for Palestinian human rights. Well, you've uh, alluded to the institutional anti-Semitism in organizations like the United Nations, but we also have educational anti-Semitism on college campuses around the United States of America. And also, to some extent, there's a cultural anti-Semitism creeping in with some 
icons may be misguided and may be speaking without really fully understanding, but the likes of, of Kanye West hit the headlines uh, so, some months ago with some of his comments about Hitler. These are very difficult things to counter. So unfortunately, all of these things are related. Uh, there's one unique thing about the race hatred that is anti-Semitism, right? And people, race hatred can take any forms, right? Any ethnic hate, people can hate Asians, hate white people, hate black people, hate, that type of thing. What's What we found over millennia is that Jew hatred is the most amorphous, right? It could be on the left side of a political aisle, the right side of a political aisle. It could be an intellectual, it can be religious, all of those things, because at some point the Jewish people become the scapegoats for what insert whatever the issue actually is. And what we are seeing in the United States is a level of anti-Semitism that most scholars say that we have not seen probably ever, but definitely not since probably the Second World War in this nation, right? And it's and it's moving, unfortunately, like a cancer throughout the West, right? You are seeing uh, these liberal democracies with many people of different ethnicities, sometimes different religions, uh, with a hatred for Israel, hatred for Jews. This is why often those of us in this space will clearly say that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Those who push back on it refuse to believe it. But here we are right now. We have Jewish communities, Jewish people being attacked in the states because of what people are perceiving that's happening where the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is concerned. That is the very definition of anti-Zionism being anti-Semitism. When we hear about Uyghur Muslims being slaughtered in China, you don't see Chinese people and their businesses being bombed or, or fired or with um, with those Molotov cocktails. or China. Now, I'm not saying Chinese people aren't, or, or Asians aren't attacked. That is actually happening in our nation. Unfortunately, you have a lot of racial unrest, but you don't see it as connected to China is doing this and China is is doing that. Iran. Iran has been a bad actor and the number one state sponsor of terrorism for a long time. You don't see Iranian communities in the United States attacked because Iran is doing X, Y, and Z. But Jews are attacked because of what is being said that Israel is doing. And that's why we said there's, there's a uniqueness in there. Our colleges and universities have been bastions of that type of anti-Semitism for decades. Our organization applauds the fact that on Capitol Hill, there are certain uh, Ivy League presidents that were called into question, and not, we think that that's good. The only problem is that we think it's about 20 years too late because this has been going on for a very long time. Intifada, intifada being chanted on campuses is very old, right? From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is a call for Jewish genocide, decades old. This thing goes back to the 60s and the 70s, if you want to be really honest about how much this has been happening. It's just that it has increased a great deal over the last 10 to 20 years. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. And this tactic also sees the employment of reverse labeling. So you have 
Russians accusing Ukrainians of being Nazis, the same label applied to Israel and the words genocide being applied to Israel in Gaza. But the reality is the complete opposite. How do they get away with this narrative? From the repetition of it, I was just telling someone the other day in some of our one of our uh, sessions that we had that if one just for one example, I write about this in my book. But if you go and you Google Yasser Arafat's address to the United Nations Assembly, I believe it's 1974. I'm not pretty sure. It's 74. I think it's 74. <clears throat> he spoke. I don't remember how long it was. If you read the transcript and I recommend anybody doing an answer to your question, read the transcript of his speech. He used the terms Zionism and racism and imperialism all the time. He would repeat them over again. Uh, he didn't use the word apartheid, I believe, in that thing, but he actually talked about the aggression, the oppression. He continually painted Israel as an imperialist colonial colony over and over again. It was Bayard Rustin, who was the founder, one of the co-founders of Black Americans to Support Israel Committee, basic. Bayard Rustin mentioned that in his speech, Arafat repeated Israel's racism so many times that even other black leaders who knew it wasn't true began to believe it. He saw the disinformation having an impact in real time, right? So to answer to you, what you're saying, what we're seeing is the repetition of it, right? And a certain amount of word association. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. In the United States, Education as a as a procedure, as an entity, has been a large debate for a while, right? K through twelve, our public schools, illiteracy is at an all time high. Uh, STEM, uh, what our children don't know, uh, how they cannot read. I'm not, I'm not talking about black and black white, right? I'm talking about multi ethnic, right? It's higher in certain levels in certain neighborhoods and that type of thing, socioeconomic backgrounds and everything. But by and large. Uh, we have been slipping as a first world nation in terms of our academic achievements, right? The reason I mention that is that the more uninformed a society is, history has taught us, the more it devolves into things like religious strife, racial strife, those types of things, right? It becomes the, the less informed a populace is, the easier it is to then indoctrinate them with those people are bad, those people are evil. And that's what we're seeing happening in the United States as well. And during this process, there are useful idiots, as is the expression, who are all the more willing to to carry that message. There's various celebrities who will jump on the, the bandwagon often without really understanding the issues. And in a culture like the US and like the UK, where celebrity has become so significant to people's lives, these false narratives just have a way of escalating beyond belief. Absolutely. So you had mentioned before, about a year ago now, the Kanye West um, controversy, his statements against the Jewish people later on that were pro-Nazi, pro-Hitler, right? Just very, very blatant, right? Um, and then there's other situations in which there were their entertainers, uh, sports figures. Um, there, there, There have been... It, what's amazing is that one of the things that people are seeing with these celebrities, some of these very well-known influencers or whatever, from different ethnic backgrounds, and even from both sides of the aisle, there's some conservatives, well, considered far right on the left, who are parroting some of these same anti-Semitic and then anti-Israel tropes. 
based on either, as you say, ignorance or persistence. My wife always teaches me there's un- illiterate and there's unliterate, right? Illiterate is that you don't know. Unliterate is that you refuse to know, right? So there are some who are persisting in their Jew hatred for whatever it is, clicks, likes, whatever, whoever it is they're appealing to, right? Or because of a deep-seated hatred for the Jewish people uh, in, in themselves, right? And this is how, again, the uniqueness of it, that gets affixed onto Israel, right? That if if I already think that Jews are filling the whatever blank is, right? Then of course, Israel is that as well, right? If Jews do this and Jews are that, and again, fill in the blank, Israel is guilty of X, Y, and Z. It's not a far leap, which is one of the reasons why it is swelling so much here in the state. Uh, these influencers, people like that with all these millions of followers, whether in the inter- entertainment industry and others who are retweeting and posting this types of of unfounded nonsense. Some of it even pro Hamas, as you know, Dave, after the, the attacks of October 7th, your people, oh, Hamas are freedom fighters, they're resistance fighters. Right. And then I remember there was a couple of, uh, of gentlemen. They are I mentioned this before in another interview. Uh, uh, black, uh, not like conservative, Glenn Laurie and and John McWhorter have a podcast that they do together, and I encourage people to look at it. They are not Zionists by any stretch of the imagination. They're not. They have. They've never even talked about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict until lately. One of the things that they talked about in a in a podcast maybe a couple of weeks ago was the fact that they are watching people challenge Israelis and American Jews as to how many people ba- babies died, were they burned, were they beheaded, were they? I mean, this kind of interrogation about. How and who and do you have the dental records of and how how dare you say, right? It's almost as if they are, these people are Hamas propagandists, right? They are totally unwilling. I'll say this for people who are incredulous. Much of the evidence that we have about who was killed and how was recorded on the phones of the Hamas terrorists who actually posted it and shared it with their family or texted those those videos to the family members to their horror in Israel, right? So even with that, there are people going, oh, well, I'm skeptical. I don't really, is that really what you say that it is? That's a unique thing that comes towards Jews. Where that's what we recognize for a long time. Well, there's even journalists who have seen the 45-minute video of Hamas atrocities who their bloodlust hasn't been fully satisfied with seeing a woman on the ground with blood on her underwear. One of the comments was, well, I didn't see them raped in the video, so maybe it didn't happen. What's amazing to me, David, and I mentioned this before, and again, in our organization, Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, we underscore these parallels, right? Just as people, whether because of their anti-Semitism or whatever you want to call it, are incredulous to or dismissive of what happened to the Israelis in October the 7th, these are some of the same people who couldn't care less about the slaves in Libya, who couldn't care less about what Boko Haram is doing to Christians in Nigeria, who couldn't care less what Al-Shabaab is doing to people in Somalia and in India, right? They couldn't care less. They are dismissive of that as well. As a matter of fact, some of them even either think it's either a joke or it's not even real, right? So it's amazing that when it comes to the whole Africa-Israel thing that we talk about, the United Nations, for example, is attacking Israel all the time and dismissive of these atrocities throughout Africa. Uh, and we, again, we see people on the ground paying for, we say often that the international community, particularly in places like Africa and other parts of the Middle East, are paying for the international community's Jew hatred. Now, black solidarity with Judaism is not necessarily a, a new concept. When you look at the likes of South Africa, there has always been 
a, a shared experience, not the exact same experience, but there is a shared experience. Is that part of the reason for the establishment of, of your organization? So, yes. So what we and we talk about this in our teaching as well, talking about unpacking and, and dealing with authentic history and all those things. There are deep, deep ties when it comes to the black and Jewish community. I want to say here that for, these are generic terms. You know, Jews are, they're black, they're white, they're brown. Jews, Jews are not a, a color, if you will. Right? We're talking about communities, if you will, cultural uh, uh, entities, if you will. Um, there are deep, deep ties, not just in the States, obviously, right? Um, for those who know anything about the civil rights uh, movement of the 50s and the 60s, the Jewish community, though very small, the United States were overrepresented when it came to the struggle against Jim Crow and apart, uh, Jim Crow segregation and the fight for civil rights. Dr. King himself even said that the Jewish people, and I'm paraphrasing, but have been the most uh, sympathetic to the Negro in his struggle for justice is what he actually said. Um, and this has been true for a while, but even before then, a generation before then, before Dr. King was born, Julius Rosenwald, Booker T. Washington, built Rosenwald schools, some 5,400 across the, the segregated South, and really changing the course of American history because you had millions of Black students who had no access to these segregated schools. Booker T. Washington, of course, is an educator and entrepreneur. Julius Rosenwald of Sears Roebuck fame, they come together with Julius Rosenwald's wealth, not just in those elementary schools and high schools, but also his, what we call Rosenwald Fellows. He actually provided scholarships for people to go and study later on, like Langston Hughes and Marian Anderson, the famous opera singer, right? So that Black Jewish synergy was not just a benefit to the Black community, but again, changed the course of American history. What would have happened had those millions of those uh, young people not been able to go to school, not be able to study, uh, not be able to move forward in their, uh, their educations as well? Um, but we also say uh, only halfway in jest that the first Africa-Israel summit was when the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon in Jerusalem 3,000 years ago. So those ties, Israel becomes a nation in Africa, right? People, just, I know geography is not a thing anymore, but Egypt is in Africa, right? I mean, the Sinai is in Africa. All these things happen, right? So there are deep ties and connections and knowledge where Africa and Israel are concerned. We underscore those things and why it is important for that to be known, right? Why is it important for us to know that Israel's relationship with Africa goes back thousands of years? And the modern state during the time of a Golda Meir, who was a foreign minister throughout Africa, and the deep, deep bonds that were there, those things we feel are important. Just like we see the Abraham Accords are doing great things in the region right now. It's important that we know these connections. And that's why when Hamas, a terrorist organization responsible for horrific atrocities, attempts to align itself with the black struggle, it is incredibly insulting. It, it makes you scream, how dare you? How dare you try and do that? See, I'm being very uh, uh, composed in our interview here for the purposes of, of your channel and all those things. But yes, as both as a preacher, uh, uh, as a community leader, and we have these conversations, we have these conversations. One of my first articles that I wrote for Times of Israel, my blog was seven reasons why the Palestinian narrative and the black struggle for freedom are nothing alike. Right. And we kind of go through seven bullet points about seven, maybe 10 years ago when I wrote it. Uh, and one of the things we talked about in that article was the anger, the seething anger. Yes. And your words, we've used those words. How dare, how dare you equate what my answers went through with men who went into kibbutz and slaughtered and burned and raped. And are you kidding me? So 
we were um, someone, uh, there was a conversation I had, I can't remember what it was, and they mentioned Nat Turner, Nat Turner of, of fame, who had actually uh, led a, a slave rebellion, uh, killed masters, killed people on the plantation. And we talked about it as an organization. Absolutely. That's exactly what he did. He he wanted freedom. And for him, it was an overthrowing of an attempted at overthrowing his oppressors. And we said, yes, that was not the main narrative, but you had certain slave rebellions that would happen in certain time. Over a period of time, the black American, both fighting in the Civil War and then fighting over that next century for civil rights, were also led by people who, through education, through teaching, through lectures, through helping with legislation, helped change and make it the the more perfect union that the founding fathers actually talked about, right? That to strip that away from us as a people is not only reprehensible, but then to flip it and turn it on its head and say, when the PLO sends or the Hamas sends suicide bombers into a shopping mall, that's the black struggle for freedom. I'm See, I almost said a word. I'm just trying to make sure my words are a good word. Or that somehow when you're taking... 16, 17-year-old children putting automatic weapons in their hands and sending them up against the IDF, hoping that they get harmed or killed so you can blame Israel. Once again, how dare you? Again, I'm changing, choosing my words very, very carefully. That has nothing to do with what my ancestors went through to attain freedom and upward mobility in a nation that had great promise, but those promises had not been delivered to us. If those people who try to do that what they would want to do is start with why the people of Gaza are among the poorest in the region, why their leaders are worth billions of dollars. Oh, and by the way, Mahmoud Abbas, who was elected to a four-year term back in, I believe, 2007, if I'm not mistaken, why is he still president? Why is he worth hundreds of millions of dollars? If they're concerned, what they might want to do is actually speak to the heart and the root of the oppression like my ancestors did and not scapegoat Israel and the Jewish people. Dumasani, I like to finish these conversations, if possible, with some kind of hopeful message. What hope is there for this situation? Often what I've told people uh, as a pastor, David, is that when you are going through a lot of different trials and struggles and attacks, it's probably because you're doing something right. Israel, this tiny nation that's all of 75 years old, the first responder to most every disaster all over the world, has exported everything from its agricultural to its 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 irrigation and all. It 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 has helped. It's funny, some of the people who were abducted and killed were a couple of them were from Tanzania, one of the African nations, right? And they were studying there about agriculture there, so they could go back and do those things in their nation. So what I say, David, is that in the midst of this darkness, and just so happens that our Jewish brothers and sisters are celebrating Hanukkah right now, right? That in the midst of this darkness, the light is that the evil forces like Hamas, the evil forces like the Islamic Republic of Iran, they are afraid of what's happening, right? They are afraid of Israel, which was so close to having some sort of peace deal with Saudi Arabia, right? So I tell people one of the reasons why we can be encouraged 
for those who really want peace, for those who really want to see people live and thrive, is that the bad actors are afraid that that's what's happening. They're afraid that the Arab, the Arab, Abraham Accords will spread throughout the region. They're afraid that Africa will only deepen her ties to Israel, right? And so they're trying to do everything that they can do to stop it. So the good news is that they see that there's something that's threatening to their darkness and to their, their evil intentions. And so that means we must be doing something right. Let's just keep moving forward. Dumasani, I could talk to you uh, all day. Thank you very much indeed for that. That was really, really uh, interesting and uh, enlightening. Thank you very much for your time. Yes, thanks for having me, Dave. Dumasani Washington, the founder and CEO of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel. Well, that brings an end to this week's episode of Israel's War on Terror. You can discover more installments wherever you typically get your podcasts. If you've any questions you'd like us to answer, please let us know in the comments and we'll do our best to take them on in future chapters. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.